Well, a very good day. Welcome to all of you for this session on Spire Cyst. And that this product deserves more credit and uh, recognition than it gets, and I'll explain why. I'm also very happy to have with me today a guest coming to us from Mexico, French Canadian. Couldn't be more pleased to have her here for her expertise. So, for today's session, we're going to talk about what to consider in your business when you're selecting an accounting solution. Katie's been doing this for so many years, I wanted to have her expertise on this. And we also uh, will talk about company processes and what you should evaluate in a software selection process, and then how Spire can actually help you with choosing a solution along the way. So I do welcome you. I'm Randy Johnston out of Hutchinson, Kansas. I'm one of the K2 partners, and I have been speaking about technology for 40 plus years, currently on the top thought leader list in the US market, as well as the Accounting Today top 100 list. Uh, I have written books. I write columns on a regular basis. You're always welcome to contact me directly uh, through my K2 or NMGI operations. And I do want to introduce Katie. Uh, she's coming to us today out of her home in Mexico. So Katie, good day and welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself a bit? Thanks, Randy. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hi, I'm Katie Griffin. I'm the Director of Business Development at Spire Systems. Our headquarters are in Langley. And as most everyone knows today, we have the beautiful opportunity to work from anywhere. Uh, Montreal Canadian native, and I've been in the accounting software business now for over 15 years working with value-added resellers, working with businesses who are looking to purchase a new software and with publishing companies themselves. Um, and I'm very pleased to be part of the Spire team, fantastic company, great product. Um, and I really, really enjoy talking to businesses and finding out what their needs are and if Spire could be a good fit for them. So I'm excited to be here today, Randy. Thanks so much for having me. Very pleased to have you along. And I know we were introduced through our K2 Canadian operations, as it turns out. So we have a lot of old history that way, which is uh, excellent as far as I'm concerned. But again, Katie's expertise is, you know, bar none, uh, you know, you'd think she was 20 years older than she is based on what she knows. So I'm happy to have her along for that light. Now, just a few administrative announcements, then we'll get into the thick of things. Uh, you know, today you can listen to the podcast for, for free. We do try to do a brand new uh, podcast twice a week. Uh, we bring you the latest in technology and accounting and business technologies. We're typically trying to do reviews and analysis on topics from mobile apps to Excel. And you can watch or listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, more. We're live twice a week like we are with you today. And you can check out all of our uh, offerings at cpatoday.com. Now, uh, you can earn credits for today's uh webinar. It's quite simple. Uh, you'll have responsive questions you can do during the event, or if you have missed those, there's a short five question quiz you can take. Uh, we do have a link in the materials and you should be seeing the first polling question now over the um, uh, hour or so that Katie and I'll be together. There'll be a uh, four questions and you have to respond to at least three of those. So make sure that you respond and I'll try to give you a heads up when those questions are there as well. Uh, you can also listen to your first podcast besides this one for free by using the code one free podcast. We'd like you to try other uh, content that we produce. You'll find it's factual and uh, should help you in your career and other needs. Now, uh, all of the product names and logos and brands are copyrighted by their owners. Uh, this material is for educational use on only, and the images that we use are uh, courtesy of Flat Icon, Unsplash, and others. Remember, again, to confirm your engagement. There'll be attendance prompts about every 12 to 20 minutes uh, at the rate of four per hour. And when it comes up, just confirm your attendance by selecting a response. Our systems will track your response, and uh, that will uh, allow us to generate certificates of attendance. Uh, in some cases, the attendance prompts won't be announced. I'll try to be a little cognizant of that, but if we're in the thick of discussion, uh, I may not get that done quite right, but you do have to answer three of the four. Your certificate will arrive 
via email within two days of today's event. And if you have any issues with receiving a certificate, visit CPE today to submit a question. We also want you to take time at the end to complete an evaluation form. It should pop up in a browser window automatically when we complete. It's one to three minutes, very quick, but your feedback is very important to us. Take a moment, complete the online evaluation. You could influence future webcasts that we do uh, along the way. So we're here to answer your questions. I'm watching the question and answer window as we go. So if you let uh, us know if you have any questions during today's presentation, we'll try to respond to them or more likely I'll have Katie respond since uh, she's my expert here today. We're happy to explain things more than once or show another example. And uh, you know, if you've got expertise that will help us, we all learn from each other this way. If there's technical issues, just use the chat or Q&A functionality to get some help. So let's see if we can get our attention turned now to the topic at hand, because the fact of the matter is, because you're listening today, you probably have questions about your business. And there are key questions that I think you should ask before you select any system. Now, as it turns out, uh, Personally, I've done accounting software selection for 40 plus years at this point. I'm very used to the market. I know lots of products, but I've watched Katie's work too. And she's actually got some pretty key questions that you can ask. So what do you think, Katie, are the most important things to ask? Well, I think um, definitely having the customer or the future customer be able to identify what their current pains are. That should be the number one important thing for a variety of reasons, but really getting them to articulate what it is that they are struggling with is often what is prompting the search for a new solution. Um, and, and throughout the procurement process is something that people tend to forget because the procurement process is a process. It's not easy shopping for software. So identifying what are the main things that um, they are currently struggling with in their current solution and finding out what they currently like, what they like about the solution they're using today, because that is very telling in terms of what their internal processes are like, in terms of functionalities that they rely on heavily, that if they don't exist in a new software solution, would be very disappointing and disruptive to the business. So yeah. I would say those two things are very key. What you don't like and what you do like, um, which is different than than what you wish for. That's a that's a whole other thing, right? A whole other so. thing. You know, and you're right. That that process. Uh, I think I've used something similar for years. Uh, I think the way I usually ask people to do it is give me ten or fifteen things you're trying to gain and five to seven things you don't want to lose, and set that aside. And then come back and refer to it because it's you're going to get so deep in the weeds, you're going to forget why you're here. And you ought to use these things that you are wanting to gain and things you didn't want to lose along the way. So are there other sizing questions that make sense? Because I have ones I like to ask, but I think you do too. I do, Randy. Absolutely. I mean, so typically when we ask uh, a business, uh, what size are you, they will refer to either the amount of staff that they have, not just using the software, but entirely, uh, you know, how many people are on their payroll, let's say, um, in addition to what their annual revenue is like. And there are other ways to identify the size of a business. Volume of transactions is one um, that sometimes people don't think about, right? And you could have uh, a, a massive number of transactions, which puts you into a very high annual revenue bracket, or you could have a small amount of transactions that also put you into a very high revenue bracket. And the difference between those two has a lot to, to says a lot in terms of, you know, what are their processes on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So, so transaction volume is one. And I would say also trying to evaluate the complexity of the processes. So in terms of size, how many steps are involved in the day-to-day -day process during the life of an order, from the time that an order comes in to the time that you know it's paid for kind of thing, right? So how many steps are involved? There will also be indicative of, of size in terms of day-to-day -day operations. And I think it's important to ask you know, what other uh, measurements can we put on evaluating the size of a business? Because it's not just about the dollars for it to make sense, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, in a moment, we'll show you our competitive landscape and segmentation triangle. Um, I think I designed
what's your annual revenue, and what's your employee count. Once I get those two, I kind of know loosely where you're going to be, but this complexity point that you're mentioning, it becomes real critical as it turns out. And later in our time together, I'll ask you some questions about things like costing and inventory. And that really throws people out of the uh, entry space. Now, there's some other, you know, I'll call it uh, complexity deals, like how many locations you have. And I might talk about is like warehouse or, you know, sizes of warehouses, things like that. What would you say about the, the multi-location, multi-country, multi-multi things? I think, I think it's a very important question to ask. I can tell you that it's one of the areas that Spire specializes in um, is being able to handle multi-location. Um, and, and location is not just the warehouse itself, right? And so some businesses, especially in wholesale distribution, will have more than one warehouse, either because um, in one city, you know, they're closer to a segment of their clients, which allows for more expedited shipping and order processing and things like that. But location is also your e-commerce store. Location is also your retail store, if you have one. It's not just the office. Um, and so we encourage businesses when we're talking to them to think beyond just the warehouse, you know, um, and, and, and in terms of inventory management, are they being managed at the individual locations or are they being managed collectively uh, in terms of the inventory available for that organization? So very important question to ask, um, especially when you've identified that the business has inventory? Is it just one location, right? Yeah. In fact, one of our guests on a prior podcast uh, did a wonderful job of laying out, you know, locations could even be vans if you're a you know service contractor and you want to maintain the inventories in those plumbing vans, let's say. So that location concept is another great complexity uh, issue. Yes. You know, another one is, you know, number of businesses. As a small business owner, typically I've had my building corporation and I've had my operational business and I've had a separate consulting entity and so forth. And, you know, small business owners, I suppose, shouldn't have five or six companies, but a lot do. Uh, so what would you maybe have to say about entities? Most of the successful businesses that I've seen have more than one entity, whether it's a holding company and then another business or whatever the case may be. And often they'll be using, you know, one entry level product to manage the smaller data set, the smaller business that they have, um, and a larger one for the other one. And if the company so chooses to then start like consolidating in any way, it makes it that much more difficult. Um, so one of the nice things uh, about Spire as well is that it's it's unlimited in terms of the data sets that you can have, um, which I think in terms of being a successful business owner, having the same tools to manage these different data sets can make your day-to-day -day life just a little bit easier. Um, and so understanding how many data sets Regardless of whether the chart of accounts is set up differently or not, you know, we can we can address those things moving forward. But how many businesses do you actually have? How many data sets are you running um, is, is hugely important because there are solutions out there that do have a different price point for an additional data set. And so if you're shopping for software, um, you want to try and, and understand all of the costs associated with that. So location, data sets, users, all of these things, um, size are, are important to, to be able to identify and articulate. Yeah. And even if we pick on Intuit QuickBooks Online, which charges separately for every entity, that, hey, they give a discount now on the additional ones, but they didn't early, mm -hmm. as opposed to the old QuickBooks desktop product, which allowed you to run multiple data sets. And then it was maybe a little more painful to consolidate, but at least you could do it. So you're absolutely right. These upcharges for additional entities, the upcharges for additional users, the upcharges, the upcharges and so forth wind up being a big deal. Well, you know, as it turns out, we've got lots of sizing questions that we could ask, but there's some more details to come. And really the accounting pyramid, uh, there's one key concept that I'd like you to get out of our uh, time together today. And that is that we 
clearly can see the benefits of systems that can do more than an entry-level product out there. And so the entry-level products like uh, QuickBooks or Xero or Zoho, they have a lot of limitations about what they can actually do effectively. And so uh, bigger systems can be quite expensive, particularly by the time you get to the enterprise tier one, the SAPs, the Oracles, they're for great big businesses, but the mid-market products also cause a lot of business owners heart attacks as they all of a sudden realize, you know, we've got this entry-level product. We put a bunch of Band-Aids on it with add-ons. We've outgrown the bloody thing. We better get a bigger system. And then they get the price quote from the mid-market systems and they just go berserk. So we've discovered that there's another class of systems, which we call prop solutions, which are kind of in between entry-level not as big as ERP, but they have a lot of the key features of ERP. So prop, what's prop mean? Well, it means process and resource operation planning. And see, as it turns out here, a lot of this, well, you've said the word process multiple times, very Canadian-like though, process, which I like. But, <laughs> you know, as it turns out, you know, businesses are their processes, according to Ray Kroc, who was, you know, the founder of McDonald's. And it turns out that planning the resources that you need, whether that's people or product and running the operations, that's what most people are really struggling with, I think. It's not so much, you know, have I got dollars in the bank? Have I got my bills paid? That's nice to do, but that's pretty simple. And that's what you see in the TV advertisements. Here, we're talking about making things happen. So, what type of things do you make happen when you're doing prop solutions, Katie? Well, I feel that we definitely, um, like you said very well, you know, when you're when you're reaching the limitations of an entry level program, there are some general um, mile markers, if you will, that identify those limitations for most businesses. Usually, we see uh, capacity inventory management issues, um, lack of reporting abilities, um, additional user functionality starts to kind of like get, you know, jolted down and not smooth anymore. And so those those prop solution functionalities that we offer are a comprehensive structure in the software that allows for the processes to, to function day to day. So again, as I said earlier, from the time that an order comes in to the end of that life of the order, being able to address the needs that the company has. So whether that's at uh, a lot or serialized uh, tracking functionality, or it's a multiple warehouse or a more comprehensive pricing structure, um, you know, you've got clients, a clients B and client C, and some of them are um, subject to different pricing on a particular item than you might have for a different segment of clients. Um, being able to manage, you know, alternate part numbers. Let's say if you're if you're managing uh, a service type of business, right? So more of those in-depth ERP-like functionalities without that big ticket ERP cost. And I really love your your previous slide where you're showing how there are three types of small businesses. You know, you've got the small, small business, the medium, small business, and the large, small business. And I think that that is very telling um, in terms of what kind of PROP, what kind of prop solutions is someone going to need? Um, because when you do talk to people who are shopping for software, they'll say, well, I'm just a small business. You know, and it's, it's, well, what do you mean by that? Right. Um, because you can have five people on staff and be a small business, but if you are in light manufacturing, for example, the process that you have from raw material to finish good has a level of complexity that an entry-level software won't do. And that a massive ERP will just be overkill for you. So taking, you know, the complexities that you have and, and, and not overdoing it in an ERP, but really giving you what you need at a price point that's available, that's affordable, um, not just today, but five years from now, I think is really where we shine in, in your, your acronym of prop over there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that because, you know, generally when people are putting in accounting software systems, I like them to stay in place five, seven years, maybe up to 10 years. And so you got to take a longer haul view of what this means. 
further, there's so many indications like you were talking about in reporting where systems are just running out of gas. You know, I see people putting things in Excel spreadsheets and, you know, they're, I call those renegade systems, systems outside the system. And it's so much extra effort and it's so error prone and, and so on. And, you know, I'm thinking about my own business while you're talking about it, because we're a small operation, but, uh, you know, we've cut our number of processes down to 181. And I'm currently helping a uh, probable, uh, you know, candidate that's going to replace their software with their process mapping now so I can do gap analysis and what their processes are. And the more they've mapped their processes, the more they've said, we didn't realize how broken our processes were. And that's yeah. not unusual, too. Well, you know, PROP is kind of a, an odd acronym, but I hope you can see that PROP helps us manage processes, resources, operations, all in the above. What are you thinking here on this uh, for those of you that are out there? So, you know, in terms of resources, Katie, what type of resources do you often talk to people about in the selection process? Well, I think... Um... Self-education is, is huge, right? So the resources that are available out there um, in terms of not only, you know, investigating solutions when you're at the beginning process of your procurement journey, but consider what other educational resources are in existence with that application that you're considering. Um, what kind of training do they offer on a monthly basis? Do they have any kind of academy that is included in your purchase, right? It's a resource of knowledge. What kind of live events do they have? Um, I'm a big proponent of ongoing learning and ongoing education. I think, you know, even someone who has as much experience as you have, Randy, I'm sure you'll find that you're learning something every day, right? And I think that it's our responsibility as software publishers to continue to provide those resources. So whether it's from an educational perspective or from a support perspective as well, you know, we work very closely with certified Spire partners who are there to provide additional resources in troubleshooting, in implementation, in ongoing education. And we hold our standards pretty high. Um, to become a, a certified Spire partner, you need more than just a heartbeat. Um, you have to have a, a certain amount of credentials and experience. And there's a process where we provide resources to them as well that in turn get passed on to the clients. And so whether it's you know, um, uh, resources that a, a client can go out and reach themselves um, without the intervention of a certified reseller or with the work of a certified resellers, there should be a healthy amount of knowledge out there because it's not a pair of shoes that people are buying, as I say often. It's, it's a software system and software grows. A healthy software grows. It continues to be updated and upgraded and that's a sign of a healthy company and a healthy product. And to accompany that needs to be a plethora of, of resources to support everyone that's involved there. So I think that's a huge thing that people should be asking when they're shopping for software, what kind of resources are there? It's not just about your internal processes. I mean, that's hugely important, but what's out there to help you on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yeah. And, you know, even scheduling resources internally becomes a big deal. You know, sometimes, as I say, all my fire trucks are out. I've got every person tied up. And, you know, how do we handle this client request? Further, you know, having been around this a long time, I love accountants. I've been around, uh, you know, CPAs and bookkeepers for my entire career. And it turns out that I have so much focus on accounting. Sometimes I lose the key operational pieces of business. And, you know, that's really a big deal. So I think prop really does drive this home. It is all of the above. It's process, it's resource, it's operation, and it's accounting on the back end. I actually have a little model that illustrates that too. Well, you know, you're really thinking or trying to help our listeners today think through their current solution and their situation. We alluded to that earlier with some of our questions, uh, you know, when we were talking about, you know, why are you changing? What do you like today? So what might you ask a little bit further? You know, do you normally just ask what system are you on? You probably know enough different systems that you can almost picture. In fact, that's, I know that's what I do, Katie, is what are you using today? Oh yeah, I know that system. Tell me what your issue. Oh yeah, that's why you're having the problems. I mean, I kind of get that. So what do you do? 
So definitely asking, you know, which, which software are you currently working with? And that is a good indicator of um, size of business as well and where they may be outgrowing or on the other end of it, where it's perhaps been overkill. Often we see an industry specific software that a company has invested in because they are in, for example, the manufacturing space. Um, and it's costing them $26,000 a year to just maintain their licensing on that because it just has that one specific feature, right? And so it's not just about upgrading from an entry level, but also sometimes it's, for lack of better terms, downgrading um, to something that one is more affordable and that can still address those niche requirements that, that businesses might have. So yeah, what kind of software are you using? Um, and then to get even more granular, uh, which edition are you using as well? Because we often see one of the reasons that people are starting to shop for software is that they are stuck with an antiquated solution um, that for whatever reason they never upgraded from. Um, so understanding what version of something that somebody is running is, is very important as well. Um, and I think, you know, just to your next uh, bullet point on your slide here, Randy, identifying what works well, you know, what do you like about this version of this software that you're currently using, um, especially for those people who, again, are running something that's a little bit older in terms of a program. There's this, it's always worked for us. We've always done it this way. So tell me what it is that you like that you've always done that way, right? And then on the other um, side of things, what would you change? And I, I tend to ask people to narrow it down to three of each, three things that you like, three things that you don't like. Um, and sometimes it's very easy. People will be able to come out with three on each side. Uh, most of the time, they struggle to find the one thing that they like in that initial discovery call. Um, and then they'll give like 10 things that they don't like because the pain is what's driving the, the you know, search for a new solution. And just back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, it's important to note these things down on both sides of that question where it's, you know, struggling to find one thing that I like, when you start to get into um, the demo phase of things, all of a sudden, all the things they like show up, right? So, so trying to narrow it down to three main uh, things that you like, things that you would change. Those are definitely very important questions. Um, another question that I ask is what functionalities do you use the most? Um, more referred to as modules in, in our lingo. Um, People sometimes don't tend to think of a module itself as having a particular global feature that exists throughout a program. And so I think we're uh, in the business very used to saying, you know, orders go through order entry, let's say, or sales and, you know, inventory is managed in inventory and purchase orders are managed in purchase orders. But something like um, being able to use filtering to create ad hoc reports and favorite those, being able to have a Google-like search functionality, uh, being able to have Chromium built into the software as well and have access to different URLs, being able to do things on the fly kind of thing or add user-defined fields that allow for that personalization kind of field. These are also features that um, people tend to forget when they are globally or universally uh, accessible throughout the program. So you, I find that when we ask these questions, you can start to, based on the answers that you're receiving from, from the person who's shopping for software, you can start to get more granular and a little more defined um, and a bit more um, detailed as to what they mean by, by things. And, and words are important. Words matter, I always say, because people use language um, in different ways, right? Um, are there any third-party products that you're using? Nope. Nope. Is there anything integrated? Nope. Nope, nothing. What do you use for payroll? Oh, this, right? And so, so that does mean that maybe there is an integration that exists there, right? And so often because you're in the forest, you can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. You're just so used to the day-to-day -day operations of your business that you don't necessarily think that that product is an add-on or a third-party integration, right? Um, and so it is really important to Listen carefully when people are expressing what it is that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis while we analyze their current situation. And often they are triggered after that initial phone call um, and, and it's inspired them to think about many of the other things that 
again, during the day-to-day, they, they don't realize how reliant on Excel they are. They don't realize how paper-oriented they are. They don't re- you know, and it's through this discovery process that um, they get inspired and they start to understand, I could change some of my processes. We could benefit from these things, you know? Yeah, you know, the, the, your points are very interesting because version number does matter. That's one of my key things that I ask about. But, and the expertise of partners is important here because when you, you hear an older version or you hear that you're on today, you can picture how it works if you know those platforms. But if you only know a single platform and that's all you work in, you're not a very good advisor in general uh, if, if that's all you know. So I don't want to be too limited in, in that uh, thinking. And beyond that, this idea that uh, when people are just trying to get their job done day to day, they do it the best way they know how. Sometimes they just don't know that there's an easier way. It's almost like a revolution as opposed to an evolution because, yeah, we always have to do these things to check in inventory. We, ha- you know, we have to get the packing slip and we key all the data in. And my rule of thumb on most of these systems, if somebody's keying data, you probably have a broken process. Yeah, eventually, you know, one point it has to be captured, but beyond that, maybe not more. So, you know, another thing to filter on here is this, what are you trying to accomplish question? You know, I, I like to be a future thinker. Uh, it's hard to predict the future, but sometimes we can make it. So, you know, how do, how do you get people to think about what the future state or the future can look like? It's a challenge for most people when you ask them to think about five years from now, where do you see your business? Not where do you want your business to be, but where do you see your business to be? Um, and so my my process, if you will, I hate to keep using the same word, but my process when I'm I'm speaking with people who are shopping for software is to is to articulate back to them what they've shared with me. And sometimes when you hear something that you shared, you all of a sudden understand the impact of it. So for example, um, to think about the future, currently we have a bunch. So one of the questions I ask is how many inventory items do you have? How many SKUs do you have? Right. And so they'll say, oh, well, we have, you know, let's say five or 6,000 SKUs, but we really only use 2,000 of them. Right. Um, And so five years from now, I'd like to just have a clean inventory list is what I want to work with because we all have, you know, every business has inventory items that they're not supposed to sell. Every business has a GL account that they shouldn't be posting to that. They, you know, someone that they shouldn't be paying a customer that they shouldn't be invoicing. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many signs or asterisks or bold things you put around that someone's going to accidentally do that. So five years from now, what do you want? You want a cleaner inventory list. Well, what that means is that you would like, uh, less human errors. You would like more uh, secure data, more integrity in your data so that ultimately the reports that you are reliant on, that you are pulling, make sense. And you can actually drive meaningful information from these reports. If you're stuck with a bunch of data that is you know, outdated or just doesn't belong there, and you're constantly seeing this stuff, then even in your in your day-to-day minutia-like activities, you'll get bogged down by that, right? So what I hear, what I hear often is I want more time, I want more efficiency, I want a cleaner list of things. But when I articulate it to them as you would like, you would like better processes ultimately, you would like the ability to pull reports more easily because they don't use the same language that we do in the industry, right? So um, it's important to, to ask these kinds of questions and, and, and you help them envision the future by repeating back to them what they've shared with you. Yeah. And some, you know, as you were explaining that, I was thinking about one of my classic inventory for terms, which you've heard before, I'm sure, FIST, first in, still there. <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of us still do have inventory that, you know, somebody made a mistake buying or we bought it for a special order and couldn't sell it or, you know, whatever the reason was. And, you know, another future facing question I like to ask Katie is, you know, a, a simple one that gets them started is, you know, what's your sales today? What do you expect your sales to be in three, five or seven years? How many people do you expect in those times? And how do you expect to scale 
uh, effectively. And do you want to increase your margins in your business? Do you, you want to have the same margins? What, what are you trying to get done on that type of managing? And, you know, there's another classic question is, you know, do you, can you show me your reports? What have you got that's a report outside the system? And that's what that Excel tracking thing is. So are you doing anything in any pieces of paper or on any spreadsheet or in a word processing document? What are you doing there? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Excel still remains to be, as you know, the most popular accounting software in the world, even though it's not an accounting software. And and not to bash it, I mean, Excel is a fabulous tool. And I think in conjunction with a strong software that can meet your needs, can just really enhance a lot of the um, ad hoc kind of reporting stuff that people do rely on and are dependent on. Um, But the less you have to step outside of the program, the better. And I think when we talk about, you know, the future, right? Uh, I I agree, you know, what are your sales? What do you want your sales to be like? But how, how, how do you evaluate today what margins you should be charging? You know, what kind of markups should you be looking at? And a system that can tell you you've purchased this at this cost, you're selling it at this cost, and kind of just highlight in red, ooh, your margins are looking a little low there not only are going to serve you well five years from now, but are going to pave the way to getting you there five years from now. So something that is scalable is very important. Something that you can grow into and that can grow with you um, is huge when you think about where you're going to be five years from now. Yeah. And I got to tell you, changing software is not an easy process. It's very painful. You know, it's not like taking a shower. It's, it's, you know, that's something you do every day, but no changing software. I mean, no, that's like moving my, one of my worst things in the world. Well, there's probably manual processes that are people are doing that we could perhaps, uh, you know, replace, but uh, another thing that seems to be a pretty good indicator is if people are really staying current earlier, you illustrated situations where people didn't update their software or they weren't training their people. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I tell people oh, I'm from Kansas, I live in an internet desert, you know, we don't have connectivity out here. So, you know, I'm surprised we've actually been able to talk without interruption here today. Okay. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah. And people say, really? That's possible. Oh, yeah, it's real possible. Yeah. But, you know, so notice that actually tells us whether we could have a on-premise internal solution or whether cloud-based would be acceptable. Because if you've got poor connectivity or you're out in the country somewhere and just don't have access, it could be a problem. And of course, in today's world, so much talk of cybersecurity, including, you know, recent guidance on business needing to step up and protect themselves. So what type of currency questions do you ask? Not currency as in dollars, but how you're keeping things current. Well, we do ask uh, dollars as well if they are, you know, people are using multiple multiple currencies in their business. But in terms of staying current, um, we definitely ask about their infrastructure. So what kind of servers are they running? What kind of uh, workstations? A big one is, are they running... um, Apple computers, Mac products, or are they running uh, Windows-based uh, systems, which, which is very important to know. Not every accounting system is going to work in the, in the Mac world, right? So understanding the infrastructure that people have inside of the office and outside of the office as well, right? So um, as you said earlier on today, I work remotely from Mexico. And so understanding where I am and what kind of you know, tools I have at my disposal, as well as my internet service provider is very important. Um, so asking these kinds of questions is, is our key indicators as to one, um, you know, where, where is the buyer in terms of their technology maturity, right? Um, and, and how open are they to changing their systems? Because that adds an extra investment on their part if they are thinking about staying on premise, right? Um, And we talked earlier about individual locations um, in terms of warehouse and service trucks that are out on the road and could have their own little inventory that might be managed on its own. Well, mobile internet access is hugely important there as well. Um, You know, we have uh, instances where people have come to us and those service trucks are only really uh, reconciling everything once they get back to the office. And 
that is a lack of efficiency for a lot of businesses in today's world. So finding mobile internet solutions provided by telecommunications companies are something that people can consider when they have trucks out on the road, right? Um, and then security needs, absolutely. When, when we're dealing with businesses, especially on the other side of the border who are considering um, hosted solutions, right? Where that data is residing is very important to some businesses. Um, and just the just the fundamental way that um, you know different countries handle different things is important as well. Uh, but moreover, threats like ransomware, threats like malware, all of these things um, are important to understand their kind of IT setup and whether they have IT support directly in the business or outside of the business. Now we're we're not IT experts, and I don't try to go down that avenue too much because at some point it just goes beyond me to be honest with you but just asking these basic questions you know how current is your system what windows are you operating um what is your infrastructure like um do you want to stay on prem do you want cloud hosting or do you want a hybrid situation as well and then what kind of both antivirus this kind of systems you have in place, but then what are your policies surrounding security? Because it then goes also into who has access to what in the system and how tight of an audit trail exists to see who did what within the system as well. So multifaceted question, Randy. Yeah, it really, it really is that. And, you know, you're kind of hit me upside the head with the <laughs> Mac piece because there's many, many of these systems don't work well in a Mac environment. Even when they claim they'll work in a browser, sometimes they just don't do what they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So that would just be, uh, you know, one simple piece of what you've illustrated. And then that additional piece had that discussion yesterday on Canadian data versus U.S. data versus Mexico mm -hmm. data versus, you know, GCC data versus European Union data versus you get it. <laughs> yeah. So in any case, well, you know, those are all key points. And, you know, I, I'm, I can already tell, Katie, we could probably talk for a few hours and, you know, have this wonderful script for people to work from. But maybe another one that's a biggie is a budget and timeline. So, you know, how do you get people to think about their timelines and budgets? Um, so I'll talk about timeline first. And again, I'll take you back to typically when I'm speaking with people, there's some kind of pain that is pushing them. Um, you referred to uh, shopping for software isn't like taking a shower. I typically say shopping for shoes. I, I love shoes. So it's not the same thing. And so you know, whereas you can go out and, and buy a pair of shoes, try them on, they fit. Okay, maybe you'll hum and haw over it a little bit, um, but you're pretty decided. This is a whole different process. And the pain that's pushing you to buy a new software often makes people respond to the when is your timeline as right away, as soon as possible. I've had some very unrealistic expectations uh, when it comes to timeline. Like I want this up and running tomorrow. How quickly can you spin up a server for us to have a cloud hosting solution? And it's like, well, that, that can happen very quickly, sure. But taking you from here to there, right? And, and there's a lot that goes into uh, implementing a new solution. There's data conversion, there's installation, there's you know, writing reports, there's training, there's, you know, are there third-party applications that need to be considered as well? Um, so there's there's quite a lot, you know, um, and, and they need to re-engineer their business processes in, in that process as well. Like re, it, a new software is a good opportunity for you to take a look at what your processes are and how are you going to adapt those processes into the new software? Because Every accounting software is different. Sure, we all do debits and credits at the end of the day, but they are different applications, right? And so how do you fit into the software? Because the software isn't necessarily going to fit around your processes. It can offer you a lot of really efficient, more automated, more modern and contemporary functionality, but it often causes us to kind of reevaluate our processes to be able to accommodate and fit into the new program, often bettering our day-to-day -day practice. Um, so timeline, you know, to consider, uh, again, where you're coming from, you know, how much history are you wanting to bring over? Typically, we can see a very successful Spire install within, you know, two, 
weeks to four weeks, depending on the complexity of the site and how much historical data needs to come over. But to say that you want this 24 hours from now, I think is just unrealistic for any package that's out there. Um, the budget question is one that almost all of the time people will say, I don't know. I don't know what my budget is. Now, either they're doing that because, you know, we're salespeople and they don't really want to give us a number. <laughs> um, but most of the time, it's actually they don't know. They don't know what uh, accounting software typically sells for because they've been using the same product for so long or they're going from that entry-level category knowing that they need to grow knowing that it likely will cost them more but they have no idea how much more and so sometimes we get the answer that if it's going to work and it's going to do everything that i want then i'm willing to spend money so i often counter that with what's the most you want to spend right like what is a number out there when you look at you know, what your cash flow is like, when you look at, you know, what your uh, annual revenue is like, what is the maximum dollar that you could see yourself spending? Um, and then very quickly from there, I can say, well, great, we can move forward or that's not going to work for you. Um, yep. Yep. That, make, that makes great sense. Yeah. Well, sorry to, to step over you there, but, you know, okay. as it turns out, I think you're, you were, you were in the zone of what needs to happen here. You know, we really wanted to have you think about what it takes to be involved in the decision-making process and how many solutions you might look at. We normally try to limit most people to just a couple of three, mm -hmm. but I think we are really at the point that we better get another question in. So, um, you know, along the way, uh, if you've got a conversion plan, it should include analysis of needs, a budget, an implementation plan, all of the above. So are there... Uh, you know, uh, things that you'd also say that aren't in this list that maybe should be considered for conversion? I think you mentioned the amount of data earlier, for example. Right. And that would go into the implementation plan as well. The, the conversion of data, how many years of historical data does data need to be cleaned up before it gets converted into the new program? I'd say training uh, is probably missing from your list. Um, yeah. Not to be too critical of you, but training is a huge part, right? Yeah. So um, that's definitely an important factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as it turns out, I've got a list of probably six or eight things, but I believe <laughs> analysis of needs, budgets, implementation yeah. plans, there's more. So clearly this yeah. one, the best answer is all of the above. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we still have so much that we can talk about, but, uh, you know, I think I want to turn attention now to what makes a system that's more sophisticated than entry level, a prop system. And, uh, you know, the first thing that I'll just lay on the line, pretty much everything that's done in most entry level uh, tools, prop systems can do. In my opinion, Katie, your Spire systems is a prop system. And you've got features in there that clearly are as sophisticated as I see in many of the mid-market ERPs that are three, four, and five times more expensive. And that is not an understatement, by the way. So it wouldn't be unusual. In fact, I can I know of a situation right now where, frankly, there's very little uh, inside your system. In fact, I think I'm correct in saying your system would do everything that this would do. And their bid came back for $225,000. And it's like, um, and then, you know, when you ask about the maximum they would spend, the owner was saying, well, I, I thought it wouldn't be over 150. And it's like, yeah, I'm thinking you're, you're probably way off on that. So in any case, so what would you tell us about some of these features? I know you've got a very sophisticated inventory. You've got good sales management. One of the things that's a driver for me on many of these systems is costing. So what would you say about some of these items? Yeah, I mean, on an inventory level, you know, having flexible units of measure comes to mind. Um, that's definitely a nice feature that exists. The customization of filters and searches, right? So again, talking about, you know, those inventory items that have just been sitting there, that fist uh, scenario that you were sharing with us, being able to actually identify what those are and do something with them. Um, alternate part numbers for substitutions. I mean, that's something that we see very often in a, in a wholesale environment. Um, being able to have all of the shipment information as well at your fingertips. So the tracking number within the order information on your screen, 
um, being able to add an accessory to an item without needing a whole other bill of materials module added on to that. Um, our inventory is very comprehensive and very robust. And so, yeah, we could definitely talk about that forever. I think one of the really nice things in terms of costing as well, I mean, that our price matrix is, is very powerful and again, is included in um, Spire as well. So uh, for those who are managing multiple price lists and being having a need to update that, you know, those are some of the features that are a struggle in an entry level product, being able to do those things efficiently, not one at a time, <laughs> you know, if you've got 6,000 or whatever amount of inventory items um, and four different price lists, let's say updating each of those individually can just be a nightmare. So the ability to import new prices very nicely, very easily, um, being able to search for uh, items or records by word or by half of a word that you might remember. Um, that Google-like search function exists universally throughout Spire. So definitely a, a plus and a bonus in terms of making your work life a little bit easier. Um, contract costs, let's say there's specific agreements that you have in place. Um, that's definitely a nice feature that exists. I mean, there's, there's a ton, you know, we could go on and on about it every day, um, all but, day, but, every day. <laughs> notice, notice that on this particular point, notice you just named a bunch of sophisticated things because uh, most of the time you had to be in a mid-market system to be able to get costing, to get the price matrix, to be able to get the contract pricing uh, yeah, and more. And, you know, you were just kind of clicking them off like the other, just another thing you do. Well, it is, if that's what you're and, uh, you know, there's probably even more because, you know, a word I like to use around tuning the system to fit you better is personalization. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like buying clothes since you enjoy shoes. You know, the fact of the matter is you can buy shoes, uh, you know, in lots of different styles and sizes and varieties, but regular clothes like we wear, you know, you can buy those off the shelf or you can have them custom tailored or you can have them purchased and altered. And in effect, customizable is kind of like purchase. You know, it's pretty much off the shelf, but you just nip it here, let it out a little there. Uh, you know, I, I've got kind of odd shaped shoulders and long arms, so no shirts ever fit me. And, uh, you know, I know your product can be customized, as I recall. Is that correct? Yeah, one of the I think one of the very unique features in Spire that is just um, it mind blowing, really, when when you think about what you can do with it is our user defined fields. Um so often businesses will look at a new package and they'll say, well, where does this piece of information go? We had it over here in the old software and now where do we put that? And, and often in ERPs, um, you don't have that opportunity to create an extra field that will hold a specific piece of data unique to your business, personalized to your business. And our user-defined fields are, are universal throughout the product. Um, they can be added in, in all the different modules that exist. You can choose it as a text field, a drop down, a date, a checkbox, a Boolean. Um, you can make it defined as, as a mandatory field um, so that, you know, the order can't actually happen until Susie puts that piece of information into that field. Um, and they're, they're indexed and searchable, which I think is so nice as well, because you're pulling a report and you're not going to see it as user-defined field one, user-defined field two. And, and at some point you're like, what was that field about again? it'll actually show you what you've named that field to be, right? Um, which I think is a really nice, and they're all, again, very searchable, right? In that Google-like search functionality that we have. So very flexible, very personalized that way. And I think one of my favorite features in Spire, actually. Yeah, and, you know, the things that attracted me right away on the very first view on your system was this browser-based style. And you've referred to Google-like search several times, which is, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know it's a unique feature. I try to use language carefully. It may not be one of a kind, but it's close. A few competitors that can do it like that. So talk to us a little bit about what it means to be browser-based. Well, I think there's, you know, uh, uh, a couple of different ways that you could define that. But in within Spire itself, um, that that browser feel, okay, so that Google-like search. So being able to, you know, if you if you were to search uh, half a word or, or 
you know, a piece of a phone number or something like that, that exists, but also through browser-based applications. So in our very early development, um, we do have uh, some browser-based applications that allow you to access Spire anywhere, anytime. This is different than cloud hosting. Um, so these are apps, if you will, that are um, synced with your on-prem Spire version. So if you do have someone who's out on the road and they do need to place an order, they can do that in the web application. So the browser-based apps are, are gaining more and more popularity and we are continuing to work and develop those to be more mature. They're still in their early stages, but quite functional and, and fun to use. Um, it looks a little bit different as most apps do compared to the on-prem version, but that functionality is there. Um, so th whether it's a browser-based feel and you've got, you know, um, URL Chromium built into Spire, which we do, um, or it's our, you know, still young browser-based applications that exist. Um, I think what is notable is that we are progressive uh, as, as a solution and listening to the demands that are out there because more and more people are preferring browser-based immediate access anytime, anywhere kind of a thing. So yeah, it yeah. makes great sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I look at, uh, you know, one of the mid-market competitors, which I like very much called Acumatica, you know, they can be in the cloud or they can be on-premise based and you can be too, mm -hmm. but the price point between your two products is radically different. So I know that that's a big feature. Another thing that you've got inside inventory, and it may sound like it should be in every inventory system, but it's pretty rare, is lot and serial numbers. You know, in the U.S. market for FDA tracking and uh, for, uh, you know, all sorts of other types of manufacturing, you need that. So has that been in your product for a while? I think it's been in our product since the inception. Um, I'd have to double check with our founders, but I'm pretty sure it's been in our product since the inception. And I mean, sometimes businesses aren't even aware if they should be abiding by lot and serialized tracking, um, uh, you know, standards, right? And and then if they do, maybe they have a very antiquated way of managing that. Maybe it's all on a spreadsheet, you know, <laughs> and that can be rather difficult to manage if there is a recall of a part or a product, right? Um, I always encourage for those businesses who aren't sure, I encourage them to visit Inspection Canada, or I guess, you know, the equivalent of that in the United States is the Food and Drug Administration, right? So, find out whether your business needs to be compliant to these things because the consequences can be very high. But in terms of managing that, you know, lot tracking, uh, a bulk of traceability that's required by distributors, pharmaceuticals, you know, I, I tend to explain it as anything that you would consume or put on your body or feed to your pet or put on your pet's body. You really should be thinking about these things um, for a variety of reasons. And how to properly manage that? Is it only at an inventory level or does it actually follow through from the purchase order of the manufacturing you're getting it from to your inventory, to the order going out to the customer? Does it maintain that same number or do you only have it in one aspect of your current software solution, which could be problematic, right? Um, and then in the serial tracking, you know, particular to a single product within a batch as well, right? I mean, um, or part numbers for that matter. I mean, these are very important things that could make or break your business at the end of the day if you're not following them properly. Yeah, the fines are notable, as you point out. So, well, you know, I really did write this title on the slide appropriately because I think Spire Systems is an amazing prop solution. And when I consider how much is built into your platform at reasonable prices versus buying an entry level product and putting a bunch of add-ons with it. And by the way, we teach those courses too. So I, I think I know from which speak on this, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, this is so much easier for most businesses and it's far more functional. So I think that that particular capability inside Spire is really nifty. And boy, could we talk a lot more because you're bigger than entry level and you're almost as capable as most mid-markets. And when I do mid-market demonstrations, I actually ask for eight to 16 hours of demonstration to see the features. And frankly, I bet you could go that long too. So type of system, are you entry level, are you prop or are you ERP? And I think it's pretty obvious based on the prior slide, what the answer is in this case. 
I believe that you are a really uh, unique and valuable. So Katie, any other parting thoughts? I think we're down in our last minute or so together. I, I would just say, you know, the topic today is, you know, the procurement journey, right? What is that all about? Um, and I think that if you are shopping for software or if you have clients that are shopping for software, I think that initial discovery with a software expert, you know, whether it's a consultant or the publishers themselves is incredibly valuable. Um, again, it will trigger people to think of things that perhaps they're not considering when it's the pain of something that's driving them um, and, and feeling like, you know, there are uh, publishers out there who understand what it's like to shop for software and who are very focused on understanding what your specific needs are versus just selling you uh, a software solution, right? So yeah, that makes great sense. Well, you know, I guess a, a parting thought, which you didn't ask me to say, but I know it's important, is you know many people are on entry level systems. Many people are on mid-market and need to come down market, as you really pointed out earlier in our conversation. But if you're looking for a partner uh, publisher to deal with and you'd like to consider becoming a partner, I'm sure Katie would. Have very much have their partners in mind. So all of that said, Make sure you evaluate your needs and make sure you've thought about the processes that we're talking about here and uh, perhaps put expire in your uh, possible solutions. I think it's a great one to consider uh, along that line. So uh, if you're looking for credit for today's course, remember, if you've answered all the questions that you've gone, we'll send you an uh, email certificate shortly. If you miss something, you can take a short five question quiz and be able to uh, uh, we do distribute the deck, so you're welcome to that. Uh, if you have not taken a podcast from us before, please do use our one free podcast code to uh, take another course and get your CPE credit away. And follow us on social media as well. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the SoundCloud. It's a pleasure, Katie, to have you with us. I can't think how much I'd really enjoy having a longer conversation, and I'm happy to have all our guests with us today, too. So we will see you another time. All the best. Good day. Thanks, Randy. Take care. Bye-bye.